Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Ken, so glad that you're here with us in person and via live stream. For the past five weeks, we have been in our Lenten series, Resilient Faith, a series that aims to deepen our trust in Christ and grow our faith to withstand the trials the challenges and the storms of life, to develop grit, the adaptability, and the resilience of our Lord Jesus. And so far in this series, we have looked at how God wants to use the wilderness to shape our character and our faith, if we'll let Him. We've seen how we must resist evil and temptation if we're going to overcome hardships and live into God's best for us. And we've also reflected on the necessity of lament and building resilient faith, that there's a a healthy way to grieve. Otherwise, if we don't, our faith will be malformed. And last week, we looked at how important it is to know who you are in Christ. As you see with Jesus at his baptism, knowing who you are enables us to overcome the trials and the opposition encountered in the wilderness, because it's in the wilderness where our identity is challenged the most. It's my hope this morning that you'll see how knowing who you are in Christ is connected to what I'm going to address this morning in this message on the biblical view of humility. In this fifth installment of our series, I want to invite us to consider what is humility and why is it needed for building a resilient faith? Also, how do you know if you're being humble? teachable and adapting through your circumstances. So I'd like us to reflect on that today in a sermon I've entitled, It's the Humble Hearts That Grow. Father, we once again invite your presence. We know you're here with us, Lord, but we're just not always aware of that. And so we ask that we would be aware of that, Lord. Make us aware of your Holy Spirit in this room and with us at home. We open up our hearts to you and we ask you to speak, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. In this series, we've been going back and forth from Jesus' time in the wilderness to the first wilderness experience in the Bible with the people of Israel, which you can read about in the book of Exodus and in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that I'd like to begin this morning. Let's look at that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Moses says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey His commands. 
So look at that. Moses tells God's people who have gone through the wilderness and are about to come out of the wilderness to inherit the promised land, what was happening to you back there was a test. And this test wasn't so that you would fail. God never wants us to fail. That's not what his tests are for. But rather so that you would learn, grow, and rise to the occasion. So that you would become everything that God has created you to be. Putting off the old, putting on the new, Paul would say in the New Testament. Because if you don't allow the wilderness to purge you, folks, you're wasting your suffering. You can think of it this way. The wilderness is a classroom. The wilderness is a classroom. And so the questions for the class, we're the class today, right? The questions for the class would be, are you paying attention? Are you taking notes? Are you going to pass the test? Again, notice that Moses says the wilderness was for God to humble you and test your character. You say, how so? Well, when you're humbled, you're brought to a place of total submission and reliance upon God instead of having an independent, self-reliant, look-what-I-can-do-without-God sort of attitude. You see, when you're humbled, your heart is moldable. Your soul is malleable. Your mind is teachable. Also, the testing out in the desert, it went two ways. It works this way with us, too. Think about it. Israel wanted to know if God could really be trusted. And God wanted to know if they would be faithful to the covenant and act like his children. And often what is revealed in the testing isn't very pretty. (laughs) But it is necessary if we want to grow. And you know who's responsible for your growth? You are. Not me, not the rest of your pastors, not your small group leaders, no one else but you. What is revealed in the testing isn't, isn't pretty. Think about that, folks. But it's necessary if you want to grow because that's what the wilderness is intended to do. It causes you to look deep within and face who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It reminds me of, uh, of a TV show that I recently started watching. Maybe you've seen it. It's called Alone. Alone is a reality TV series where a handful of contestants are placed in a remote location with only a limited number of supplies. Then you have, to, you have to fend for yourselves and survive as long as you possibly can. The goal, of course, is to be the only contestant who doesn't uh, quit due to the harsh conditions and the extreme isolation that they undergo. The show really is, and I was watching this, I was thinking, this is a reminder that the wilderness, which is a place of testing, can produce blessings in the end for those who persevere. I just finished watching uh, season six where 10 people were placed in the Arctic, by far the most extreme environment on the planet. And if you've seen the show, you know that it's, it's really hard to watch grown men and women fight through the physical, the mental, and the spiritual challenges that come with their own private tests. But yet they do it. <laughs> Why, why would anybody do this? You're probably thinking, if you've not seen the show, 
You, you could say it's the cash reward of half a million dollars to the winner. But as you watch, you discover uh, that while the reward is certainly motivating, you must have something more going on inside of you if you're going to make it. That is a, a willingness to face your fears, a desire to push yourself beyond what you thought was possible, what you could withstand, and a humility to learn, to grow, and adapt to your situation and surroundings. And so just like the show alone, where hunger is a constant battle every single day, we see that the battle, or rather the Bible, aims to teach us a spiritual lesson about basic human need. You can go a long time without eating. Jesus saw that out in the wilderness. But you can't go anywhere without a deep connection, trust, and reliance upon God. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Listen to this, folks. In other words, we all live hand to mouth for the sustenance and life that God alone can give us. We live by faith, not by... Some of you have heard that before. <laughs> we live by faith, not by sight. That's what the Bible says. We learn to trust God more in, and less in things that aren't trustworthy when we are humbled, which of course is not fun when you're going through it. But let this be a reminder that it is for a purpose. With God, nothing is wasted. Hallelujah. Nothing is wasted. It can all be worked together for our good. Also think about this. The wilderness for Israel was preparation for living in a better land. Listen to that. It's preparation for living in a better land, but, but one that would be filled with idols, material comforts, and a different set of temptations that come when times are good. Often we don't see them. You see, when the wilderness is over, what's next? Because times will get better. Amen for that. Times will get better. Uh, the, the desert life will make way for a land flowing with milk and honey. But make no mistake, church, it's there that you'll be tested in different ways. So what are you getting out of the wilderness? If anything, you'll be tempted to live like you don't need God in the same way you did in the desert. This is what God was trying to teach Israel. So be alert. Take with you what you've learned and what you're learning, and remember, you need God more than anything else. Think about that. People don't live by bread alone. Where else have we heard that? Yeah, Jesus said that in the wilderness. 
When Jesus responded to Satan's temptation to turn stones to bread by quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Jesus was showing that he could deny himself and trust God despite his hunger. You know, that's what fasting is all about, which we're encouraged to do during Lent. It teaches us that we can surrender our strongest desires, whether they're good or bad or whatever, or neutral, right? Our strongest desires can be surrendered over to God, and we can trust Him. And in that simple act of denial, we're saying that God's will and His ways are better. After all, He'll provide in His way and in His time. Therefore, I shouldn't seek to satisfy myself and escape the test until it is completed. And while you might not normally think of it this way, this way of Jesus requires humility, doesn't it? It requires a trust in God, a submission to Him in the waiting, no matter how painful or how unjust. It requires a teachable spirit. Because real humility is about the posture of our heart towards God, how we think of ourselves, as well as how we view others. But unfortunately, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what humility is and what it isn't. Check out this quote from Rick Warren. This quote is often attributed to C.S. Lewis, but this is actually from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You see, church, humility is really about recognizing the truth about who God says He is, who you are, as we looked at last Sunday, and how He feels about others and wants you to feel about others. This is how our identity and humility are linked. Follow me here. What is the opposite of pride? You may want to say it's humility, but it's not. The opposite of pride is shame and feeling worthless. We often get this wrong. Just like the exact opposite of feeling superior is feeling inferior. And neither of these please God, church. They're both extremes that that should be rejected. Because this isn't what Christ wants for us. Because when we know who we are in Christ, you see that God loves us and and He loves others with an unsurpassable love, then our sin and our shortcomings should only be a reminder that we must remain humble, teachable, and aware that we are always in need of grace and shouldn't hesitate to share that grace with others. We should also extend that grace to all that we meet. So humility is about seeing yourself the way God sees you and treats you and how he sees and treats others. So why don't we see more of this humility today, particularly in the church? I'd like to submit to you that a lack of humility, that is being prideful or even having a poor self-image, is usually an indicator of insecurity, which is often rooted in our childhood 
maybe the family that we were raised in, or a traumatic experience in our career or in our personal lives. It's where that insecurity is born. And so we, we're, either, we're tempted to gravitate toward pride and become arrogant, think more of ourselves than we should, or we gravitate toward this thinking poorly of ourselves. If that describes you, I want to encourage you, church, confess it today. Because admitting that can be extremely helpful in your healing and in learning humility and becoming a teachable person. And ultimately, learning what needs to be learned in the wilderness so that your suffering isn't wasted. And look to Jesus, because there's no greater example of humility than Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. He said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, folks, I think we can easily miss how radical this is, what Paul is saying. Because in the ancient world, humility was not a virtue. I mean, humility was synonymous with humiliation. You didn't do that. It, it kind of goes along with what Paul was doing in the, with the, uh, the church in Corinth when he starts bragging and boasting in his weaknesses. Because bragging and boasting was something that you did in the ancient world to prove that you're legit. And Paul says, oh, okay, well, I'll do that. And yet Paul brags and boasts in his weaknesses because in his weaknesses, he says, then I am made what? Strong. God's power is known in me. So it's the same sort of mindset. Christianity is truly subversive in that way. If humility is, is looked upon favorably in society today, it is because of Christianity. This was a radical idea. Uh, the belief that we're better than others, really, if you think about it and you read the Bible, you can see this. Belief that we're better than others is a delusion that we're born into. And we, all we have to do is think of Galatians 3.28. It says we're all one and we're all equal, of equal status in Christ. This is what Jesus has done. He's shown us that this is the truth of the matter. And after all, Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served, in Matthew 10, 45, when he was talking about what leadership ought to look like with his disciples. And this is truly life-giving. Again, look at verse 5. Paul says that we should have the same attitude that Jesus had. And he says, it looks like this. I'm going to open up to Philippians chapter 2, reading from the New Living Translation. If you have your Bible, you want to read there, starting with verse 6. You heard uh, Pastor Tony read this a little while ago. He said, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. You often hear skeptics say, well, Jesus never said, I am God. Well, this is why. <laughs> I mean, how would that be received? A guy going around saying, look at me, I am God. But Jesus is saying it in other ways, if we're listening. He didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is scandalous. 
scandalous. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Because Jesus lowered himself, God raised him. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, Jesus understood that if you want to go high, then you got to get low. Just as he said that the first shall be what? Last, and the last, first. You see, this is the, the physics of the kingdom. This is the order of the kingdom. If you want to move up, then you got to go down and be the servant of all. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what position you hold. This is how it works with God. And that's what he meant when, when Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We have to get this, church. My fear is that some folks listening in this room or live stream aren't getting this. Because here's what we do. He's not talking to me. I sure hope so-and-so's listening to this. Folks, this is for all of us. Hear these words of Jesus. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. It's for the kings and the presidents. It's for the CEOs and the leaders of business. It's for the pastors and the preachers, for the teachers and the coaches. It's for the actors and the entertainers. It's for the doctors and the nurses. It's for the police officers and first responders. It's for the cafeteria workers and the janitors. It's for all of us. And it's also for the church that wants to make a difference in leading others to the God who looks like Jesus. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, Jesus said. This is important to hear because the wilderness and tough times can bring out the worst in us, can't they? They really do. Which is why Peter said this to those Christians who were suffering in the Roman Empire. Suffering far more than we have this year, truth be told. And Peter said, all of you should treat each other with humility, for as the book of Proverbs says, God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, but offers grace to the humble. So bow down. Don't bow up. Bow down under God's strong hand. Then when the time comes, God will lift you up. Since God cares for you, let him carry all of your burdens and worries. What a wonderful promise. When we humble ourselves and recognize who we really are and how we desperately need the Lord, he will in time deliver us. But in the meantime, we need to give him our burdens. Reminds me of these wonderful, beautiful words of Jesus, which you know Peter must have heard at some point, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary. Come to me, all of you who are weary. And, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Look at that. Let me teach you because I am humble. Let me teach you, Jesus said. Are you teachable? Or do you think you already know everything? Or if you don't, that you can figure it out on your own. Maybe with a Google search. You see, maybe, maybe you have a few degrees and a lot of training, but folks, degrees don't make disciples. I have a couple of my own, and I know this is true. Jesus makes disciples. Jesus makes disciples who make disciples through humble learners with people who are teachable. So we need to consider what it looks like then to be teachable, right? And live in to that. This is my invitation for us today. What does it look like to be teachable? Number one, if you're taking notes, this would be a good time to jot these things down. What does it look like to be teachable? It looks like having a good attitude and a growth mindset. A good attitude and a growth mindset means that you want to learn, that you don't have all the answers. It means that you believe uh, that you can grow and that you can change, and, and you have a desire to do so, which is important, and that you're determined to press on, not bail out when times get tough, not avoid doing the hard things, especially when it comes to relationships, which matter most to God. Because, folks, if you jump ship, you do not grow, and you do a disservice to yourself and to the entire body of Christ. What does it look like to be teachable? It looks like, number two, embodying regular practices of learning. you got to practice this stuff. you got to practice being teachable. And maybe sometimes you need to fake it until you feel it, right? You You need to do what needs to be done until you start to experience the reward of it. What would be some regular practices of learning? Well, it could be a a number of things. For starters, it might entail reading books that challenge you. It might mean listening to some podcasts that are helpful or taking some classes. It, It could also look like having conversations with people from different backgrounds or even cultivating uh, d- different kinds of relationships, like multi-ethnic relationships, as Greg Boyd encourages us to do back in January, or from people who hold different beliefs and positions than you. May- maybe sitting down with someone who voted differently than you and listening. Hmm. It could be learning a new hobby or a new language. Or think about this. It might be reverse mentoring. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. What is this? Reverse mentoring, where you form a relationship and you listen and you learn from someone who's younger and less experienced. Let them coach you on some things. Yeah, that takes some humility right there, doesn't it? What does it look like to be teachable? It means number three, saying things like this. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know. Can you help me? 
Church, disciples who are humble and teachable will do this because we all regularly mess up. We all reach the limits of our knowledge and our experience at some point, if we're honest. And if we're honest and humble, we don't need anyone telling us this because humble people tend to be self-aware, right? They are aware of their weaknesses, humble people. They're eager to improve themselves, and they're appreciative of other people's strengths, which allows them to compliment others with ease. That's what truly humble people can do. But I'm guessing that we all struggle with this to some extent. And I'm also guessing that most of us in this room or those watching it at home, we want to be teachable. Why? Because we don't want to be stuck. We want to move. We don't want to be arrogant know-it-alls. We want to be humble learners who get what's to be gotten from the wilderness so that we can be used by God when our desert days are over. Hallelujah. And most of all, we want to experience the life of Christ and the favor of God on us and in our church, which is why I believe that you'll affirm with me this morning, it's the humble hearts that grow. To conclude this message, here are some questions for reflection and response. I'm just going to read these questions. I want you to think about them. I'll give you a few seconds to do this. Think about this and and ask yourself, what is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? The first question is this. How is your attitude and mindset? Are you seeing crises and challenges as an opportunity for personal growth? How's your attitude? How's your mindset? Number two, do you think too highly of yourself? If you're not sure, (laughs) ask yourself this. Am I willing to learn from those below me? And you say, well, Pastor David, I can't believe you put it that way. Oh, come on. Be, be honest. <laughs> Are you willing to learn from those below you? And then number three. Church, how is God inviting you to be more humble and teachable? Also, what does that look like for Grantham Church? I pray that we take this seriously. For I believe this word is from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your servants are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We know that all of us in this room and those watching live stream this morning, that this message is for us, all of us. God, help us not to think of our neighbor, help us not to think of this person or that person, but to apply this message to ourselves. Lord, we want to get low so you can raise us up high. We want to humble ourselves so you can exalt us as individual disciples as well as the church. And so we do that intentionally here this morning, Lord. 
we take what we've heard and we say, yes, Lord, we hear you and we're going to do something about it today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray.